If you have your Bible with you, go ahead and grab it and turn with me to Genesis chapter 20. That's where we're going to be doing some work here uh, this morning together. It's already been said, and I'll, I, need, I feel like I need to say it again. There's, there's no way you can like adequately describe the amount of demolition work and painting and, oh, platform building, shiplap hanging, speaker wiring, piano cleaning. I, I don't know where to even begin on all this stuff, to be honest with you. Uh, Andrew said it earlier. They start talking in acronyms about sound and computer stuff, and I have no idea what they're talking about. We just kind of nod in agreement and hope that they're right. And so we do need to give a, a huge debt of gratitude to so many of you who came up here and volunteered. It's been incredible. Um, so thank you uh, from me. And uh, anyway, it's good to be back here with you this morning. I've missed seeing your faces. I've missed hearing your voices and just being here together with you in this place. So if you're willing and able, I'd ask you to just stand with me now as we set our hearts and our minds to hear from the Lord through His Word to us this morning as we continue now in worship together. This is Genesis 20, starting in verse 1. From there, Abraham journeyed toward the territory of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur, and he sojourned in Gerar, and Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Behold, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is a man's wife. Now Abimelech had not approached her, so he said, Lord, will you kill an innocent people? Did he not himself say to me, she is my sister? And she herself said, he is my brother. In, in the integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hands, I have done this. And God said to him in the dream, yes, and know that you have done this in the integrity of your heart. And it was I who kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Now then return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, so that he will pray for you and you shall live. But if you do not return her, know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours. The word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you again that we can be here uh, together. We thank you for your provision for us, that you have given us more than we deserve, that you have led and carried and guided and provided for us. Lord, we pray that you would do that here today that you would speak so that our deaf ears might hear, that you would be so big and so bright that our blind ears might be able to see you and that you would come and do what only you can do, that you would awaken the dead parts of our soul, Lord, that you would come and speak life into us this morning through your word. We pray that you would do that. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Just a couple weeks ago, I was... I was uh, I was driving down the road um, with uh, my middle son, with Tucker, and we had some uh, music playing in there. Uh, he was the DJ, and I was just kind of like humming along, singing along to what he was playing, not really belting it out. I tried, I tried to save that for when I'm in the car by myself. I don't like to subject anybody else to that, but um, I was feeling it a little bit, okay? I was getting into this 
song, and it was it was Billy Joel's song because our kid has has a really like great and eclectic style of music. And so we were we were getting into the groove, and it was this it, you'll recognize it was Harry Truman Doris Day, right? Right? Anybody know what comes next? That's the problem with that song. Harry Truman, Doris Day, Red China, Johnny Ray, South Pacific, Walter Winchell, Joe DiMaggio. I can't even do it. I don't know how the man does it. And we're off, man. We are running in the road. We rolled down the windows. We're like cranking it up. I'm, I'm like trying to get it right, trying to impress my son. He's not, he is not impressed at all. Now, some of you know that song, right? Some of you might have even understood all the references that he's making. I do not. Uh, and once I get past the first, honestly, the first line of that song, I'm completely lost. And I like it. I recognize a lot of what's happening in it. But I, I'm, I'm honestly, it could all just be gibberish and I wouldn't have any idea. So I'll just sort of mumble together until we get to the chorus, right? And then it's... We didn't start the fire. Now, y'all can't sing that, okay? This is church. Y'all got to be... But it's true. We didn't start the fire. It was always burning, right? Since this world's been turning, we didn't start the fire, right? Some of y'all know all the words. We know that part. Well, fast forward a couple days later. A couple days later after that, we get the whole family in the car, and once again, Tucker is playing DJ, hits us with another round of Billy Joel, and we're all... Feeling a little one's rocking in the booster seat in the back, man. I can feel his feet kicking the back of my seat. He's, he's into it. And mama, okay, Laurie is just going in on this song, just feeling it, throwing caution to the wind, singing her ever-loving heart out. And I promise you that almost none of the words were correct. <laughs> You see, growing up, we didn't have the lyrics to every song that was playing on the radio. Now you had now now you can like little mash the little button right on Apple Music or Spotify or whatever you use, and it'll, it's, it just tells you all the words to the song. But back when we were kids, you had to you had to go to the store and buy a tape, a cassette, which half of this room is like, what is that you're even talking about? Or you had to buy a cassette. You had to beg your mama because you're like, dude, Vanilla Ice is legit. I need this. <laughs> tape in my life. And then if you wanted to know the words, your only option was to carry around this little piece of paper with microscopic words written inside it if you had any desire to actually know what it said. And as silly as it is, what most of us did was we just made up lyrics to the songs. If you didn't understand it, you just filled in the gap. And if you were honest, it made no sense. You just sang words that sounded like what they were saying. So every time a song pops on the radio, even today, we can be riding down the road and Laurie will fearlessly and ferociously sing the wrong words. Because it's what we know, right? We all do this. What we're used to is what it says. It's our normal. Listen, in Genesis 20, I promise this is going to connect to Genesis 20. In Genesis 20, this is another one of those moments in Abraham's story. That I'm sure he'd, honestly, I'm sure he'd love to forget ever happened, right? And it's definitely another one of those moments that Sarah wishes had never happened. But it's one of those beautiful things. Here's one of the beautiful things about the Bible. Is that it doesn't sugarcoat the reality of our heroes, both in their victories and in their failings. Because Abraham is a man of faith. I mean, he is. He's called a man of faith. He's literally called out in Hebrews 11 as a man of faith. As a man of faith in the plans and the purposes and the promises of God. But he's never 
painted as some sort of perfect moral hero. He's flawed. The man is impressionable. And he's weak. Abraham's impatient. And what we find here is that just like us, Abraham is prone to wander. And he's prone to stepping right back into his bad but comfortable habits. Because this story is familiar for those of us who've been tracking through Genesis through to the beginning of 2020. We saw him pull this same stunt back in Egypt over in Genesis 12. If you're curious as to when that happened, that was week two of quarantine. Not a lot has changed in Abraham since then, even though it's about 15 to 20 years later. He's going to say over in verse 13, when we get there, you'll see this, that this was sort of his default strategy that he had come up with. This was his plan of attack when going into a foreign place. It was to tell people that Sarah was his sister. That's his confession, that he told Sarah to do this. He says this in 13. This is the kindness you must do to me at every place to which we come. Say of me, he is my brother. So this is one of the normal rhythms and normal patterns of his life. Sort of his own personal insurance policy to keep him out of trouble. And the problem in all of this, beyond the like obvious lie and deception, beyond the selfishness and all that, beyond the total disregard for Sarah's safety, is that ultimately it demonstrates, it, okay, it, it, it shows the underlying root of all of this, is that Abraham, I want you to hear this, that Abraham still fears man more than he fears God. He's still more nervous about what man can do than he is about the righteousness of God and what that means for the demands of us here on earth. He still fears the people more than he fears his creator. But there's an irony in this passage that we need to see. Look there at verse 8 with me. In verse 8 it says, So Abimelech, here's the king, rose early in the morning and called all his servants and told them all these things, and the men were very much afraid. Then Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, What have you done to us? And how have, you sent, how have I sinned against you that you have brought on me and my kingdom a great sin? You have done to me things that ought not to be done. And Abimelech said to Abraham, What did you see that you did this thing? Abraham said, I did it because I thought there is no fear of God at all in this place. And they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she is indeed my sister, the daughter of my father, though not the daughter of my mother. And, and she became my wife. And, and, when, and when God caused me to wander from my father's house, I said to her, this is the kindness you must do to me at every place to which we come. Say of me, he is my brother. Stop, stop there for just a second. Now, I, I want to be honest. I, this is going to sound weird, but I love this scene. Of all of the pictures that we get in Genesis, this is, I just love this scene, we have this king, right, Abimelech, right, which is probably more of a title than it is his first name, okay? It's, it's sort of like the Egyptians calling their kings Pharaoh or, or the Romans calling their Caesar. And, and so it means something like father of a king. That's, that's what it means. So it's really a title of reverence for this man that they call Abimelech. It's a title of reverence and renown. And we'll meet other Abimelechs as we go through Genesis because it's a common name for the Philistine kings. And what we find here is that God comes to him. Can you imagine this? If we get back to the sea, you can imagine God comes to him in a dream. 
Okay, so God comes to him, the king, not just me in my little house with my little deadbolt at night. God comes to this king. He gets beyond the palace guards. He gets beyond all the security that would be around the king. None of that can stop. Nothing that we can put in place can stop God from coming to him. And we need to remember that. Abimelech is a king. He, he's the man, right? He takes what he wants. He took Sarah. He didn't, didn't say he came and asked if Sarah was interested. He just took Sarah into his, into his house. But nothing stops God from accomplishing his plans and his purpose, purposes, even a king. And the translation there is literal in verse, verse 3. It's literally that God came to Abimelech. Don't miss that. And the way the dream starts off is, is that the voice of God, okay, now you've got to imagine this scene. The king is there asleep, and the voice of God, the voice of God says to Abimelech, Behold, you are a dead man. Now that is not the start of a good dream. Okay? When the audible voice of God speaks, and he starts with, you are a dead man, that's not a good thing. If you can imagine, again, this scene playing out, it's really sort of comical, because Abimelech had gone to sleep that night feeling pretty good about everything. He had no reason to fear. He's the fear. He's the king. He can take from anybody what he wants. He can claim whatever he wants for himself. He had no fear, and he went to sleep that night thinking things were pretty good. And so you can see him kind of looking around as God's going, you're a dead man. He's going, wait, me? <laughs> you have the right guy? I didn't, I didn't do anything. Like I, what have I done? And then God lays it out there for him. And he pleads his innocence in the matter. He's going, I didn't, I didn't know she was married, man. Come on. I can you imagine this negotiating with God going, I, I didn't know. I didn't know she was married. Nobody told me that. In fact, your boy told me that she's my sister. And then she said, she's a liar too. She said, he's my brother. And God's response is saturated here, not with judgment, okay, but with grace. He even tells Abimelech that it was him. God says, listen, it was me that kept you from sinning. We find out later in this passage that his entire household had been struck with some sort of disease or some sort of issue where they weren't, they, I know there's a lot of kids in the room where they weren't doing what you do to get kids, okay? That wasn't happening in the kingdom at the time. God's going, I did that. I made it so you couldn't do that, so that you couldn't be with Sarah. It's this portrait for us of grace in action as God is protecting him, even how God protects us even in our ignorance. How he's at work keeping his people from their own destruction in spite of, in spite of our best attempts to run into the fire. And we can see... We can see how Abimelech responds. I mean, he's not happy with Abraham at all. It says there in verse 8 that Abimelech rose early in the morning and called all his servants and told them all these things, and the men were very much afraid. So so he doesn't waste any time. Again, when the audible voice of God comes and tells you, you've done this and you're going to die for it, you don't mess around. You get to work straightening things out. He doesn't waste time on getting uh, getting in on this, all right? And he confronts Abraham. Look back at verse 9. He says, what have you done to us? And how have I sinned against you that you have brought on me and my kingdom a great sin? You see, Abimelech's frustrated here. He's angry here. He's hurting. He's scared. Anybody, anybody felt some of that over the past couple of months? Just confusion and going, how come I have to die? Like, what, why, why did you do this to me? 
And then he asks there in verse 10, I want you to see this question is profoundly important. He says, what did you see that you did this thing? That's what Abimelech asks Abraham. What did you see that you did this thing? That's an important question. You see, Abimelech is he's not just making an accusation here. He's not just challenging Abraham on this. It's more than that. He's declaring Abraham's sin. And in that, he's asking Abraham to take an inventory of his own heart. He's asking Abraham to ask himself what it was that he saw and assumed that led him into this lie, into this deception. If we can just be straight, Abraham's response especially in light of the current cultural moment, this current social moment that we find ourselves in, is absolutely heartbreaking. He says, I did it because I thought, look at this, there is no fear of God at all in this place, and they will kill me because of my wife. Okay, so Abraham, listen, Abraham didn't know these people. There's absolutely no record of some prior interaction with them. He didn't, he didn't have some prior experience with these people. By all accounts, this is the first time that he has met them. And when he saw them, he made assumptions, okay? And the prejudice in his heart was exposed. The fear of the unknown, the fear of the different, the fear of the unfamiliar, it drove him into that old routine. It drove him into that old deception that we saw all the way back in Genesis 12. By the way, that's a deception and a pattern that he's going to pass down to his kids. And we'll see that as we go further into Genesis. It's the same thing that happens with us. It's the same thing that happens with us when we become stressed, when we become frustrated, when we become scared. It happens when we get a little too tired. It's that it happens when we get vulnerable. You see, we all have certain sins that grab hold of us. It's what Hebrews 12.1 calls the sins which cling so closely. And we aren't all wired the same way. Which is why it's dangerous. It's a dangerous game to label any people group as being, as being those type of people. Because what I've learned in this life, I'm not, I'm not that old yet, but what I've learned in this life is that we're all those type of people. We're all broken. We're all sinners. We're all guilty. And it's when we're pushed to the edge of our comfort. Right, right, right when we're pushed right to the edge of our normal, whatever that normal might be, the moment that happens is when we become especially vulnerable to those close clinging sins. And we see it here. All it, all, all it took was the fear of the unknown for Abraham. It was his fear that pushed him into old rhythms and patterns of sin, even into old prejudices. It pushed him to judge from the outside rather than to seek to understand. It pushed him to guard rather than to trust, to doubt rather than, rather than to walk in faith. And so rather than walking in an awe and reverence for God, what the Bible consistently calls the fear of the Lord, Rather than walking in a desire to see justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream, Abraham walks in a fear of man. It's a fear of what was 
different on earth and not a fear of God that's on display here. Which is exactly what, okay, here's the twist, which is exactly what he's accusing Abimelech and his people of being guilty of. This is the, this is hypocrisy of the highest order on the part of Abraham. And we should remember that that he was called to be a blessing to the nations. Genesis 12, 3 said that in Abraham, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Don't, don't, Don't forget that. That all the families of the earth shall be blessed. It wasn't some of the families on the earth. All right, This is specific. All the families of the earth. It wasn't some of the people groups on the earth. It wasn't some of the families of the earth. It wasn't just the people who walked like him. It wasn't just the people who were traveling with him. It wasn't the people who dressed like him and talked like him and all those different things. It was all the families of the earth, what Revelation calls a great multitude, right? That no one could number from every nation and tribe and and people and language. And, And that includes, listen, that all includes the people of Gerar. And yet here, because of his lies and because of his deception, because of the indwelling sin in his own heart, because of his prejudice, because of his ungodly fear of man, he has become a, he, he's not a blessing to the nations, he's become a curse to them. We need to see that. We need to see what happens when the people of God stop walking in the way of God. We need to see that. Here, here in the text, I'm not, I didn't make this up, I didn't plan this out and go, you know what? At the beginning of the year, I didn't sit there and go, I bet by the time June comes around, there'll be a big social unrest, a big racial battle playing itself out in the public venue. I didn't know that was going to happen. I thought if we got through coronavirus, we'd sail pretty smooth through the rest of this year, if I can be honest with you. But here we are seeing in this patriarch, this man of faith, we're seeing his prejudice play out in front of us. This is what we see in Abraham. And it's what we see in ourselves. When we lose our sense for the holiness and righteousness of God. That's what happens when we neglect to stand in awe of the one who has created us. The one who has sustained us. The one who is holding us. And the one who has redeemed us. And the only way this can happen, really the only way this can happen, is is when we have a small view of our sin. It's when we see everybody else's sin, but we don't see ours. You know what I'm talking about? That's that like... That's that splinter pointing that we're all really good at, even though we're blind to see the logs in our own eye. Like, we're all really gifted at pointing out everything that everybody else is doing wrong. Can you believe she would wear that? Did you see how they talked to their kid? Did you see where they went on vacation? Did you check their tithing record? No, I mean, like, we're great at seeing everybody else's junk. We just don't like to see our own. So what happens when we have a small view of our sin? It's what happens when we have a small view of the grace of God. You see, the only way for us to have a small view of God's grace is to have a small view of our sin, of the sin in our lives that requires it. That's what happens when we lose the awe. That's, that's when we lose the reverence. That's when we lose the fear of the Lord. That's exactly what happened with Abraham. And that's why I'm so grateful. I want to, that's why I'm so grateful that my salvation isn't dependent on me. I'm so glad that your salvation isn't dependent on me. As much as in my pride, I might like to think it is. And I do. I want it to be that way. I do. In the recesses of my heart, I still want it to be up to me. 
I still want to believe in the merit of my own life that would make God say, yes, thank you for being so awesome. I can't wait to celebrate Christmas with you this year. Rather than the life of Jesus Christ that was given for me. I'm still prone to singing the wrong lyrics. I'm still, pro- I'm still prone to singing the wrong song entirely, right? But, but God, right? Here we go. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. And then, and then Paul just can't help it. He, has to, he says, by grace you have been saved. You see, in a weird twist of fate, Billy Joel was right. The great theologian, Billy Joel. We didn't start the fire. Dead in our sin and separated from God, we couldn't do anything, much less start a fire. And so for those who have been called in Christ, the glory of it all is that it isn't up to us. It was all God. He is the starter. He is the source. He is himself the fire. He is the life. And for those in Christ, for the children of Abraham, here's the calling for us. It's to be a blessing to all the nations, to all the families of the earth. That's who we are as the church. That's what you're called into. It's not just a story that you're caught up in. Those aren't just the, the right lyrics. This is the life that in Christ, by grace, through faith, you have been given. Abraham forgot that in Gerar. My prayer for us is that we wouldn't forget that today. You know, at the end of this passage, we see another moment of grace, uh, again expressed by God as he heals the family of Abimelech. We see him pour out this blessing on a people previously unknown to Abraham, what we would have called a pagan people. And so rather than allowing the sin of Abraham to fall on this pagan king, God works through this episode of great failure on the part of his chosen people to enter into a relationship with Abimelech. That's just another reminder that God's thoughts are not our thoughts, that God's ways are not our ways, that none, that not one of his people will be lost. We can rest in that promise today. We can. We honestly can. We can trust in that promise today. We see it here as God works through Abraham's failure to bring about his good work. So you can't mess it up. And his way is always better. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I confess that all too often I doubt your power to save. I doubt your power to change. I doubt your power to make alive what is dead, not just in my own life, but in in life in general. I pray that you'd help us to remember that today, that you are the Savior, that you are the Redeemer, that you are the provider, that you are the sustainer, that you are the fire, that you are the life. I pray that you forgive our small view of who you are and what you've done. That you'd replace it with a true vision of the grace that we've been shown in Jesus Christ who who took our sin upon himself, who died the death that we deserve, that we might have his life, his righteousness given to us. Lord, forgive us. Help us to turn to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.